0: Chapter Number Twenty Two of The Mountain Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. The Mountain Girl by Payne Erskine. Chapter Twenty Two In Which David Takes Little Hoyle to Canada. David said his wife next day as he came whistling up to his cabin from the farm below do you mind if i give mother a little help with the weaving maddie can't do it she's right nigh spoiled the counterpane we had on when she came and since mother's hurt she can't work the treadles so now the hotel's open miss mayhew may come and find them not half done do i mind why should i mind if you don't Right nigh spoil your back and wear yourself out. Then I'll go down with you after dinner and see can I patch up Mattie's mistakes. It takes so much patience, a loom does, to understand it. Mattie was the cousin David had imported from the low country to relieve Cassandra from the burden of the work in the home below. Although a disappointment to them, she still did her work after her own fashion, clumsily and slowly but her aunt, Marthy, was never at rest, prodding the dull nature forward, trying to make her take the interest Cassandra had done. David had wisely persuaded his wife to leave them to themselves, to work out the problem of adjustment to the new conditions as best they might, and his persuasions had been more of a peremptory nature than he realized. To Cassandra they had been his commands but now when the weaving on which the widow had counted so much was likely to be ruined by mattie's unskilled hands the old mother had declared she could not bear to see her niece around and should pack her off where she come from therefore cassandra had made her timid request the first evidence of shrinking from her husband she had ever given why was it he asked himself What had he ever said or done to make her prefer a request in that way? But it was over in an instant, and her own poised manner returned as they ate and chatted together. Little Hoyle came running up to eat with them. He had conceived a dislike to the home below, since the incumbent had come to take his sister's place, and evaded thus, as often as possible, his mother's vigilance. David did not mind the intrusion, but suffered the adoring little chap to sit at his side, ever twisting his small body about to fix his great eyes on David's face, while he plied him with questions, and hung on his words too intent to attend to his own eating, unless admonished thereto by his sister. "'If you don't eat, son, I'll send you back to mother,' she threatened. I won't go, he rebelled joyously. I'll just sit here alongside brother David. No, you won't, young man. You'll do whatever sister says. That's what I do. He put his hand on the boy's tousled head and turned him about to his plate, well filled with food still untouched. But he noticed that the child ate listlessly, more as an act of obedience than from a normal desire. He glanced up at his wife, and saw that she also noticed hoyle's languor they finished the meal in silence only broken by hoyle's questions and david's replies now serious now teasing and bantering you are so full of interrogation points you have no room for your dinner here drink this milk slowly don't gulp it i know what they be they go this away the boy set down his glass to illustrate with his slender little hand the form of a question mark, then he laughed out gaily, You know how come I got filled up with them things I done swallowed that thar catechism Cass bein teachin me Sundays. No, I'm thinking you just are one yourself, cause I'm crooked like this away. He twisted about and looked up at David gravely no no son doctor didn't mean that said his sister finish your milk said david we'll have some fun with the microscope and once again the child essayed to eat and drink a little but the languor and pallor grew in spite of all david could do for him and as the weeks passed his large eyes burned more brilliantly and his thin form grew more meagre Cassandra got in the way of keeping him up at the cabin with her, and when she went down to weave, he went also, and used to lie on the bundles of cotton, poring over the books which David procured for him from time to time. What he gets in that way won't hurt him. It's not like having set tasks to learn. He's not burdened with any ought or ought not about it. Let him vegetate until cooler weather. Then if he doesn't improve, we'll see what can be done. Something radical, I imagine. The fall arrived in a splendor that was truly oriental in its gorgeousness. The changing colors of the foliage surpassed in brilliancy anything David had ever seen or imagined possible. The mantle of deepest green, which had clothed the mountainsides all summer, became transmuted until all the world was glorified and glowing as if the heat of the summer sun had stored up during the drowsy days to burst forth thus in warmest reds and golds. The hills look as if they had clothed themselves in Turkish rugs, ancient and fine," said David one evening, as he sat on his rock, watching them burn in the afterglow of the setting sun. How much there is for me to learn and know, Cassandra replied in a low voice. I never saw a Turkish rug. You often speak of things I know nothing about. David laughed and turned upon her happy eyes. Why so sad for that? Did you think I loved and married you for your worldly knowledge? She smiled back at him and was silent. Presently he continued, now while hoyle is not here i wish to talk to you a little about him yes david her heart fluttered with a nameless fear but she betrayed no sign of emotion you've seen of course it's not necessary to tell you no david only does it mean death she put her hand out to him and he took it in his and stroked it not surely we'll make a fight for him won't we dear oh david what can we do she moaned there's a thing to do that i've been reserving as a last resort i think the time has come to try it this curvature presses on some vital part and the action of his heart is uncertain he needs the tonic of the cold the ice and snow would you trust him to me dear i'll take him to dr hoyle you know very well everything kindness and skill can do will be done for him there yes yes david you are so good to him always would would you go alone with him she drew closer to him her head on his shoulder and her hand on his but he could not see her face "'You mean without you, dearest?' "'Yes.' "'That may be as you say. "'Would you prefer to go with us?' "'She drew a long breath, slowly, like an indrawn sigh, "'and something trembled to pass her heart, "'but suddenly the old habit of reserve sealed her lips, "'and she remained silent. "'What do you say?' he urged. "'Tell me first. Do you want me to go?" He was silent, and they sat waiting for each other. Then he said, I do want you to go, and yet I don't want you to go, yet. Sometime, of course, we must go where I may find wider scope for my activities. He felt her quiver of anxiety. Not until you are quite ready yourself, dear always remember that still she was silent and he continued i can't say that i'm quite ready myself i would prefer one more year here but hoyle must be removed without delay we may have waited too long as it is will your mother consent she must if she cares to see him live oh david go go take him and go tomorrow leave me here and go Come back to me, David, soon, very soon. I I shall need you. I can you leave Hoyle there and come back, David, or must you bide there, too? Suddenly she bowed her face in her hands. I'm so wicked and selfish to think of leaving him there without you or me or mother, one. David, what can we do? He might die there, and you you must come back for the winter what would save him might kill you oh david take me with you and leave me there with him and you come back dr hoyle will take care of him of us once we are there now 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 hold your dear heart in peace why i'm well To stay another winter would only be to establish myself in a more rugged condition of body, not that I must do so. We'll talk with your mother tomorrow. It may be hard to persuade her. But he found the mother most reasonable and practical. He even tried to abate her perfect trust in him and his ability to bring the child back to her quite well and strong. This isn't a trouble that is ever really cured, you know. WHEN TAKEN YOUNG ENOUGH, IT MAY BE HELPED, AND I'VE KNOWN PEOPLE WHO HAVE LIVED LONG AND USEFUL LIVES IN SPITE OF IT. THAT'S ALL WE MAY HOPE FOR. Wall, I allow YOU CAN'T GET HIM NO YOUNGER THAN HE BE NOW, AND HE'S THAT PERT. I RECKON HE'S WORTH IT, LEST WAYS TO weens. OF COURSE HE'S WORTH IT. YOU ARE RIGHT GOOD TO CARE FOR HIM LIKE YOU HAVE. I'D DO A HEAP FOR YOU IF I COULD. All I have is just this here farm, and it's for you and Cass. Only if you'd allow me and little Hoyle to bite on here whilst we live. David was touched. Do you realize I've found here the two greatest things in the world, love and health? All I want is for you to know and remember that if I can't succeed in doing all I would like for the boy. At least I tried my very best. I may not succeed, you know, but this is the only thing to do now, the only thing. David parted from his young wife, leaving her standing in the door of their cabin, clad in her white, homespun frock, smiling, yet tearful and pale. He was to walk down to the fall place, where Jerry Carew waited with the wagon in which he had arrived and where his baggage had been brought the day before. When he came to the steepest part of the descent, he looked back and saw Cassandra still standing as if in a trance, gazing after him. He felt his heart lean towards her, and turning sharply, walked swiftly to her, and took her once more in his arms and looked down into those deep springs, her sweet gray eyes. Thus, for a long moment, he held her to his heart with never a word. Then she entered the little home, and he walked away, looking back no more. End of chapter 22 Recording by Sandra Estenson